This morning, uh, we come to a passage that has such a wonderful mixed uh, story and blessing to it. It is the crucifixion and the death of our Lord and Savior. Uh, A dark day in and of itself, and yet there is so much going on in that day that uh, brings us victory. So we'll be reading that story this morning from uh, Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 15, uh, verses 21 to 41. We ask again that God would grant us wisdom as we contemplate His Word. At verse 21, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry, and breathed his last. And the temple, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and Salmon, Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and they were also, there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. This is the final hour of the life of Jesus. Uh, in many ways, as you read the story, it is a dark hour. Imagine being one of his disciples there at that time, spending at least a few years with Jesus, walking day by day with Him and learning from Him, seeing more and more more about who He is, more about the kingdom, more of their own need and their place in the story, and then coming to this day and He's crucified. And truly, and in reality, 
a very dark day. But what do we see here? Mark, Mark's gospel account, as we know, has been very abbreviated in many ways. It's a, it's a story that just kind of keeps jumping along in the, in the progress of things without filling in a lot of details. But there are some things that we are meant to see here. Mark, Mark wrote his gospel so that people would see from his perspective what he wanted people to see. And so our even though we don't have the detail here that we have in others, there are still things that we see here. One of the things that uh, the people that were Jewish there would have begun to realize is how scriptures were being fulfilled. He has accomplished everything that he has needed to do in his life, and even in all of those things, he continues to fulfill the Father's will. Uh, John's account says, um, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And here Jesus is at the cross with everything completed that the Father has asked him to do before his time would come to die. All has been accomplished. The prophecies are being fulfilled even in this short little story here. Prophecies uh, in large part from Psalm 22, that powerful messianic psalm. The writer there says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, 1. Verses 6-8 through eight from that same sound, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, it says. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And even then, in that time, it was a, a mockery. And here we see the psalm being fulfilled in the very death of Jesus. It goes on in verses 16 of Psalm 22. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and they cast lots for my clothes. Each one trying to decide what they would get from Jesus. Pity the people who only got his clothing when he had so much to offer them. And yet all these things are being fulfilled. Isaiah also uh, speaks about that, and these things are being fulfilled as well. Isaiah 53, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. One of the things that you see happening, being fulfilled here in this dark moment of Jesus' death is access being granted. The one thing that has always kept us from being in deep fellowship with God was our sin. And there's always been that physical barrier between the the glory of God and His people. And it's just been a curtain. It's so close and yet you can't get there. And in the final hour of Jesus, 
The temple curtain is torn from top to bottom. There's no longer any restriction for those that have life in Christ because of what He has accomplished here in His final hour. He has paid the debt once and for all. Maybe you've seen uh, some of these uh, debt clocks. Uh, Certainly if you see the one for the United States, you can't hardly keep up with it anymore. You can't watch how quickly the digits pass on by. Jesus has paid a debt in much in the same way where the debt just keeps building up and building up. Time is ticking by so quickly that every sin just keeps multiplying and the number grows larger and larger. And what He did was come to pay the debt. And He would go all the way to the cross to make sure that all of it was paid. And that loud cry that He uttered that doesn't get recorded here is, I paid it in full. It's finished. He came to pay the debt. Luke's account records that even even those standing among Jesus, He would forgive them, the very ones that were crucifying. He says, don't hold this against them, Father. Right up to His last breath, paying the debt for even those that would stand around Him. It wasn't just a few there that um, He was bearing sins for. It goes back a ways. Isaiah also says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one, every one of us, to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. You and I have probably been uh, punished for something we didn't do. That's what we claim, at least as children, right? I didn't do that, and we get punished for it anyway. Sometimes it's true, we didn't do that. And it seems unjust. And so for us to bear the punishment for somebody else, it, it happens in our court systems as well, where somebody is wrongly convicted and, and imprisoned for what they didn't do. How unjust that seems. And that's just one person paying for one other person's sins. Isaiah says he laid on him the transgressions of us all. That would be enough if it were just all of us. It would be worse if this room was filled and it was all of everybody that would fill the room, but not just those that might gather here or or at our neighbor church uh, across the street or down the road or down this way or just all of those churches, he laid on him the iniquity of all of us. This was Isaiah speaking way before Christ. And Christ is doing it yet at his death. But, but what did Isaiah mean? Laid on him the iniquity of us all. How far back does all go? Where do, you, where do you start the debt clock of sin? That all of that was laid on Him. And yes, it's the garden. It's that place where man willingly transgressed God's command, do not take that which has been withheld from you. And so all the way back to Adam and Eve, And the clock kept ticking. 
And Jesus died 2,000 years ago. And the wonderful thing is, is He's already paid for my sins and your sins. If you have come to Him and you've knelt at the cross and you've asked Him for forgiveness. Those of your sins have also been laid on Him. And you can imagine, maybe not, maybe not, how weighty that must feel, how unjust that would seem, that God would lay the iniquity of a human race on one man, all on one. And when He did this, Jesus did this in His human body, willingly. It was a it was an act of self-sacrifice. Even when they gave him this this uh, pain-numbing drink to help him get through it, he said, "No, I'm not taking that. I have to do this." What would ease his pain? He wouldn't accept because there was a road of self-sacrifice that he needed to stay on, and he did. And there he hung between heaven and earth, mocked and ridiculed by all around him. And divine judgment shows up in utter darkness. Darkness that hadn't been seen like that before. Maybe they would remember when God brought darkness over the land of Egypt to pronounce a judgment against the firstborn of Egypt and spare those that would put the blood on the doorpost and here's Jesus now in that same place his blood and that darkness shadowing over the land again and this utter contempt of God on sin is poured out on his son and he paid the debt And in all of this, what you also see here at the cross is the true identity of Jesus finally coming to its fullness. The Gospel of Mark starts out by saying, um, this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That That was the way Mark opened his story about Jesus. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But ever since then, he's been kind of cryptic about making sure that it's not known too soon when the demons would cry out and say, we know who you are. He would silence them. He wouldn't allow them to stir up things before his time. When, when Peter exclaimed, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, There was this growing acknowledgement of that, but even as that was becoming known, he was being ridiculed and mocked for it, so much so that that's the only thing that they could pin on him to crucify him. He makes himself equal with God. And there's a sign over his head, the king of the Jews, a mockery by the Gentiles. Here's, Here's the king of those people. He is the king of Israel, God's people. And there he hangs between heaven and earth. And his true identity is seen when you get to the end of his life and he breathes his last and the centurion, the Roman centurion, stands there in awe of what he's just witnessed and says, truly, 
This man was the Son of God. And his identity is finally exclaimed, and there's nothing to hold it back. Jesus' identity would become something that people would have to wrestle with. People, even in his day, thought he was a lunatic. His family said, You're nuts. The Pharisees kept saying, you're blaspheming, you're lying about who you are. Others would come to him and call him a good teacher. What of those things are they? Is he? Is he, is he just a good teacher? Is he a madman? Is he a liar? C.S. Lewis pondered on this in his book, Mere Christianity. He said this, I'm, I'm trying here to prevent any saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, referring to Jesus. Uh, they would say, he quotes, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man, and the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice, he says. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about being, him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. End quote from C.S. Lewis. One thing that you have to recognize about Jesus is the reality of who he is. You have to make up your minds. And that's where he leaves it with everybody. You have to take me for what I say I am. And he didn't confuse people. When his time of crucifixion, his trial was there, he kept giving the true answer. Are you the Christ, the Son of God? I am. It is as you say. He would, he would go on even further to say that I came for this reason. I am a king. So you can't, you can't just dismiss him. You have to take him at his word or reject him altogether. And at the cross, it was just filled with rejection. A whole host of people around him that would spit on him, wag their heads and their fingers at him. You who say you are the Christ, come down and save yourself. What a tragedy that would have been. Consider that, that if he would have come down, he could call on legions of angels to bring him down from the cross and end it once and for all and make the declaration that he is who he says he is. But he didn't, he wouldn't. The call was not to help himself. It was to sacrifice himself 
It's what he had been modeling all along in his life and ministry before his disciples. It's a life of self-sacrifice. Because if Jesus would have come down from the cross as they wanted, you just come down and we'll believe. How many times they said that and they didn't? It wasn't going to happen this time. They weren't sincere in their wanting to believe. There would have been another excuse. And so Jesus didn't give in. He continued in self-sacrifice. Because if, if we are to live like Jesus, we need to follow the way He did. Those who say they live in Him must walk like Jesus walked and live like Jesus lived. And Jesus didn't set a model of self-help for us. It's one of self-sacrifice. It's, it's not a ministry of God helps those who help themselves, but it's a ministry of God helps those who sacrifice themselves. God comes along and lives within us when we sacrifice ourselves like Jesus did. What did the cross accomplish? Some have called it cosmic child abuse. What a shame. What a shame that they would see this as an act of, of an angry God against what people considered to be an innocent man. What a, what a shame to see it that way. They've completely missed the point. It isn't one of a, an angry father against a, a child that's done no wrong. That's not the story that's being painted here. Jesus said in, in John's Gospel, I am the good shepherd. You remember how it goes. I'm, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to pick it back up. This is what his father gave him to do. And he did so willingly and sacrificially he was in full agreement with the Father even when he got to his final hour and he saw the agony that would be in front of him. And he said, if there is another way, I'll take it. But I'll still sacrifice my will to yours. Jesus came so that the blind would see. Those that couldn't see, but those that never could see who Jesus was the lame to walk, people that had nowhere to go and now they have a mission. The deaf to hear who would never hear the sound of anything and now they hear the sound of their Lord speaking to them and the mute to speak, those that would give testimony. People that maybe just babble on and on about all kinds of things and now they have something that they can speak that's of value. The sick are healed. Physical healing came, but those that have been sick in their soul and their spirit have also found healing. The prisoner has been set free. Those that have been captive by the enemy for so long find freedom in him. And the dead, the dead come to life. Jesus didn't come to make good people better because he wouldn't have found one, not one 
But Jesus came to make dead people alive. And his death on the cross brought that for us. The cross was this this whole culmination of a life wholly devoted to God. The cross wasn't just the, the final act. The cross isn't just his death because Jesus said, you, you need to take up your cross and follow me daily. It is a, an obedience of full self-sacrifice all the way through life and all the way into your death. Wholly devoted to God as Jesus was. The cross is that model for us. It's a dark hour, but there is victory on the other side of that. Victory that is yet to be told in the story. Victory that we are going to live out because of what He did here and what He will finish next. Spoiler alert, He doesn't stay dead forever. He has given us a pattern. Not of self-help, but one of self-sacrifice. If we are to live like Jesus, we need to understand that. And there is only freedom there as you sacrifice yourself as Jesus did. Amen? Amen. Father, we come this morning and we remember the words of the story. We, We remember that dark hour that Jesus paid it all. And the song says, then, all to Him I owe. And so in that final hour of Jesus, when everything had been accomplished before He would give His life, uh, we marvel at that, of a self-sacrificing Savior. And so help us to understand what that will mean for us. And let us rejoice in that. And may we also remember that every time we feel beat down and derided and mocked and spit on by other people, as it were, that we already have victory. It has already been paid for us. And when the devil would try to accuse us of the wrong things that we have done, we can show him the bill that has been paid in full. The debt is no longer there. So may we proclaim the true identity of Christ, the living Son of God, still living in the flesh today, waiting for the call of His Father to come back again and bring the fullness of salvation to His people. In the meantime, Father, equip us to keep telling the story, the same story that has set us free, that will set others free as well. So thank You for this. Thank You for the death of your Son that would pay for our sins and set us free. It is in his name we pray. Amen.